And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Go, man. Tear it off, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. 49ers 41, Lions 33. That that implies that the game was close, which it was, but I think we really had a tale of two games, guys, within just the 60 minutes. There were the first, what, 55-plus minutes in which the 49ers led 41-17. to They were as dominant as I think that, that we might have expected them to be against a much worse team. And then there was the final couple minutes there where the wheels completely fell off, with I think the inflection point being Jason Verrett's injury, which is almost certainly a torn ACL. Right after that happened, you, you even heard the 49ers talk about it after. It, it psychologically affected them, and they just the wheels came off. And they, they found a way to get it together enough to stop the Lions at the very end and barely hold on to an eight-point lead. But, boy, that got dicey. And, Matt, you were at Ford Field. Uh, did, did you just feel kind of the, the air come out of the sidelines after Jason Verrett got hurt? Yeah, absolutely. And um, you, you saw it happen, too. Uh, Verrett goes down. Um, you know, he was, he was cutting to the outside on an incompletion. He's down for, I don't know, um, 25 seconds. The, the trainers come out, and they start looking at his right knee. And then he gets up, and you can sense that he's trying to mentally make this not happening. He's trying to mentally overcome um, another season-ending injury, and he gets to his feet, and as I wrote in my my story about this, he sort of started walking purposely, uh, purposefully towards the sideline, like, okay, this is not going to bother me. I'm not going to let this happen. And I don't know, he got 10 feet from the sideline, and I think the, the physical nature of it the injury itself just took over and he couldn't mentally do it anymore. And he just stopped. It just staggered him. And you could kind of read what was going on. He realized how serious this injury was. And then you watch the whole sideline realize the same thing. And everybody who was on that sideline then came around Jason Barrett. You could tell he was crying. You could tell he was emotional. And um, and you're right. It just let the entire air out of this team. It was it was awful. I mean, it was so much like week two against the Jets last year when uh, you just knew that Nick Bosa and, and Solomon Thomas's injuries were so serious. You got that sense, and um, you know uh, they they didn't have anything. Um, it, it was hard for them to kind of muster any spirit. From that point on, and then the Lions took advantage, and they made it a a one-score game at the end. Um, and, and that was sort of the overarching emotion after the game, too. Usually, victorious locker rooms, Dennis, are are rowdy, and people are shouting. This locker room was crystal, it was, it was pin drop quiet. Um, and it was because 
they had lost their 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 uh, their best cornerback, their teammate Jason Brett, and they also knew everything that he went through to get back to full health. It took so long for him to return to his previous form, and now it looks like all of that is dashed. Yeah, it must be really hard to watch a teammate, and and you kind of know the history, and you watch a guy come back. From a or from a season-ending injury, and you just kind of watch him build himself, get himself back up into top form, have a great season as he did last season, and then beginning of this season, you know, you see him um, get hurt again, another another um, season-ending injury. And I was just at uh, the event uh, the other night, and I think he he got the Ed Block Courage Award or something like that. So it's got to be tough to see you know, your teammate go through something something like that. But at the same time, you got to understand that this happens in football. And you still, you know, whatever was left in that fourth quarter, and it was, you know, up until the until that seven minutes, I think, left into in, in the fourth quarter, I enjoyed the football game. Those last seven minutes, I was I was in studio and I was throwing things at the – because it, it really looked like the Lions were going to come back and, and, and at least tie win this football game. I mean, I was upset, and and I was I was waiting for someone to step up and make a play. And then when Debo got the ball punched out, I mean, it just that's the discipline. Yeah, you have a player that gets hurt and he's down, he's gone for this. But you, there's still a job. I mean, the game you have a three touchdown lead, and you have to go out and you have to finish the football game. So I, I just wonder what Kyle Shannon, how he approached this team. Did he go in the locker room and rip them a new one, or just say, hey, we got out of it. It's it's a win. Week 17 is still going to be a win, and we got it somehow. But, man, that last seven minutes was tough to watch. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. I'll tell you what Kyle Shanahan did. He got the team together and he said, how'd you guys feel about that win? And according to Debo Samuel, it was quiet. Nobody said anything. That's all Kyle Shanahan had to do. He, he just had to ask the, the obvious question. And I think that's a good answer from the 49ers because what they can do now is they can lick their wounds and regroup over the course of this week. Because in the big picture, you know, if we just talk about this tactically, we talk about this all the time. The 49ers are a rush over coverage team. The, the pass rush is what fuels this defense. So I could already tell you the big difference between week two of 2020 and week one of 2021. 49ers didn't lose Nick Bosa today. And I'm not trying to minimize the Jason Verrett injury. I'm just saying the reality of how this 49ers roster is constructed, they cannot afford to lose Nick Bosa and D Ford again. That would mean a domino effect that, you know, really topples the whole defense, especially now that, that Verrett's not there. But what we, what we saw today is the margin for error on that 49ers defense really diminishing quickly because Jason Verrett was their best cornerback. And now if you ever do lose some of those pass rushers or if that pass rush is ever rendered ineffective because an opponent's running game is too strong, as it was as was the case for the Lions here for the first couple quarters of this game where they're gashing the 49ers up the middle, well, then all of a sudden you are in trouble. 
as the 49ers go because you, you don't just have great cornerbacks back there, experienced great cornerbacks like Jason Verrett to, 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 to snuff out other defensive weaknesses. So what I think we're seeing from the big picture is a 49ers defense that's really going to have to hone in on stopping the run and on that pass rush to cover up for some you know potential deficiencies in the back end now that Verrett's gone. And, you know, in the more immediate picture, it, it was crazy today because you talk about needing a play to end a game. You talk about needing somebody to step up to, to get the job done. Jimmy Garoppolo did that. I mean, he opened the game. He was the main reason the 49ers were up 41 to 17. And then he was ready to close the game when he got away from the sack and threw that ball to Debo Samuel. But, but Debo fumbled that ball. Not to say Debo had a bad game. He had nine catches for like 187 yards. But God, uh, it was just one of those situations where you, you thought the 49ers might be destined to lose at the end. But in the big picture, Matt, they, a win is a win. They did get that win. And they've got to be happy with the quarterback play, especially from Garoppolo. And and Trey Lance came in and threw a touchdown pass on his first career attempt. Yeah, for sure. And and you saw not only Garoppolo having a, a really nice game, 17-25, um, 314 yards, uh, 124.2 pass rating, but he, I, I thought that there was uh, an element of leadership in him that uh, you, you don't always see with, with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I thought that, that that play you just cited, the, the throw to, to Debo Samuel, which should have sealed the game, uh, was one of his best. I thought the other one to Debo Samuel, 79 yards um, uh, for a touchdown, was, uh, was another one that stood out because that was a blitz. Uh, Garoppolo knew that he was going to get crunched on that play, uh, and he stood in there and delivered the ball. And it wasn't—I don't think it was a perfect ball. I mean, he said afterwards that he went for the back shoulder throw to, to Debo Samuel. I—I I am a little bit dubious that he was able to kind of uh, uh, thread it in there exactly like that. I think he just knew that Samuel was one on one and had a really good chance of coming down with the ball, and that's exactly what happened. But the fact that he stood in there took took that hit. Um, and it turned into a huge play I thought was big. Afterwards, uh, he was asked about Elijah Mitchell, the rookie, and uh, somebody asked, I asked actually, uh, how did Mitchell do in pass protection, which is always the thing that rookie uh, tailbacks struggle at. And uh, Garoppolo w- was frank. He said, ah, it was up and down. He didn't do it great all the time. That, that's the most critical thing I've ever heard out of Jimmy Garoppolo's mouth. Usually it's just a, a platitude. Um, but, um, you know, he was basically coaching up the rookie, uh, telling the rookie that he, he, he had a great game, 104 yards, but he needs to get better. And, um, I, I haven't seen Jimmy Garoppolo take that, that stance, that tone before. Um, I think he realizes what, what's at stake here, that, that he needs to kind of take control of this team, at least for the early part of the season. And he absolutely did that today. He did everything aside from, a, an opening snap fumble. Um, he did everything else, uh, Dennis, that was great. I, I don't think that he threw an incompletion until just before the half. And by then, uh, the 49ers were well ahead in this game. So it, it was really everything you could ask for from Jimmy Garopp- uh, Garoppolo today. Yeah, and I think at one point he was 8 for 8. Uh, and, you know, he looked he looked like he looked like Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, we talk about Jimmy Garoppolo like, you know, he's a bum. Like he's a, you know, second-rate quarterback. He's a pretty good darn quarterback. And, you know, I think a lot of, you know, when Trey Lance comes, third pick overall, we're waiting for that that to happen. He comes in, I think he, he had five snaps. Trey Lance is not ready to start in the NFL. 
Jimmy Garoppolo is the best quarterback that is on this football team. And your and your quarterback room has been upgraded with a Trey Lance. But he I don't think he's a starter right now. And I think he's in a great opportunity to learn from Jimmy Garoppolo. And what we saw today, I mean, there were I mean, not talking bad about the offensive line, but Jimmy took some hits. But he stood in there and he delivered some nice balls. That Debo ball, that was just a great play by Debo. And that's what quarterbacks need. Every once in a while, your receivers got to kind of save you a little bit. And that was a 79-yard touchdown grab. But, you know, he took some hits. He stood in there and he saw a lot of, he saw, he saw plays opening up, windows opening up. And he saw DBs, defensive linemen coming at him. Uh, and he stood in the pocket and he delivered the ball. And that's what a good quarterback does. He's, he's going to see it. He's going to make plays down the field. He's going to sacrifice his body a little bit. He's not going to take any big hits. But I think we know what Jimmy Garoppolo is. Just got to keep him healthy. I mean, if, if he's healthy, I think this team has a great chance of winning a lot of football games back there with him running the offense. Yeah, I got to go back to the long touchdown against Samuel. I, I know I was debating some people online about the throw. I mean, but when people are going to see the film, they're going to see Garoppolo literally got hit by three lions at the same time. He couldn't see the the play finish because he was under a pile, but he stood in there in that pocket. I mean, there's been so much criticism of, oh, he looks antsy in the pocket after the ACL tear, all this and all that. There's been criticism about his abilities to deliver downfield but Samuel was blanketed on the play. And if that throw goes in front of him, I think it's an incompletion. If it goes to you know his far shoulder, I think it's out of bounds. It was, I believe, third down. Uh, the only realistic area where Samuel has a chance to make a play on that ball is if he does slightly underthrow it. I don't know if Jimmy did it intentionally. He said he did. But Samuel came back, made the catch, and rushed into the end zone. So... I think the key, though, is is the ability to deliver under pressure that that Jimmy showed on that play because that it, the beating pressure was a constant theme of this game. Uh, at least three times I counted Garoppolo run away from a sack that I think in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty would have been a sack, including that final play to Debo Samuel that 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 was fumbled uh, earlier in the game. There was another big sack escape that I think set up a forty ers field goal try, but. It, you know, either the ability to be elusive under pressure or the ability to hang in there and make a throw downfield that obviously Debo Samuel caught and turned into the longest touchdown pass of uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's career. I think it was 79 yards. Uh, that that's that's stability that the 49ers need at the most important position. And the Lions are a bad defense. That's my big qualifier here. They were number 32 in the league last year. I don't think they got much better this season. Their DBs were getting chewed chewed out by one of their coaches on the bench during the game. Those are all, you know, fun qualifiers. But at the end of the day, the 49ers offense, at least up until the Debo Samuel fumble, did absolutely everything it should do to an overmatched defense. And Jimmy Garoppolo did everything he should uh, in the under those parameters. And now Matt, he has to turn around and he has to make this kind of performance consistent. And if he does, Shanahan's going to be thrilled. Because he's going to have a high baseline quarterback and he's going to have the ability to mix and match Trey Lance more aggressively to to really take this offense to the next level. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Trey Lance throws a touchdown on his first ever NFL pass. And, uh, yeah, he's maybe the the third most important or 
um, you know, the third highlighted rookie for the 49ers in this game with Elijah Mitchell rushing for 104 yards, Diamador Lenore starting the game. And Lenore, I thought, had a good game. They didn't pick on him at all. A little bit towards the end there, uh, I think he, he got a pass interference call. But, um, you know, a, a strong game for a fifth-round pick making his first-ever start in the opening game. Uh, but but the reason why Trey Lance isn't a, a bigger storyline today is because you're right. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo played a really, really excellent game. He looked like a veteran quarterback, looked like a starting quarterback on a contending team. And that's that's everything that the 49ers were planning for, were hoping for this year. And you're right. It's, it is the Lions. Uh, we'll get a little bit better uh, indication of whether it's real or not next week. And, and hopefully Brandon Ayuk will be a little bit healthier too. It was clear that he was not Dennis at, at full health today. Debo Samuel did uh, the really heavy lifting um, as far as the passing game. Ayuk wasn't even targeted, um, didn't even start the game. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think the 49ers had their, their, the full thrust of their passing attack intact right now. So, it should get a little bit better um, as we go on for Jimmy Garoppolo and that passing offense. Brandon Ayuk, I, I didn't know he even made it on the football field. I mean, I didn't. Was he on there for a snap? He actually played quite a bit, but he just never Did got he? targeted. Yeah, I don't know if it's an injury with Brandon Ayuk or is he just not taking that next step in his second year? Because remember, his rookie season, he was fantastic. And I was thinking, this is going to be a superstar in the league. And then all of a sudden, this Trit Sherfield kid comes around, this this special teams guy. And I think he's a number two receiver. And I think today, I mean, he always he, he tends to show up and make plays. So, you know, Brandon's got to take that next step and, you know, and, and kind of live up to potential because, you know, you got some hungry guys now, especially in this receiving room, that want to get on the football field. So I didn't even see him go in the game. And I know, like you said, he wasn't targeted at all. But yeah, he, he's got an opportunity. I mean, he he brings a different dimension to this to this uh, offense. But I mean, when you're on the field, you got to show up. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, let's talk about the Brandon Ayuk and the Trey Sermon situations because I think these are these are ones that we do need to address. As far as Ayuk goes, uh, it, it seemed to slip under the radar maybe because Ayuk was the first punt returner for the 49ers today so people just figured uh that meant that he was fully on the healthy pecking order for Kyle Shanahan but Shanahan did make a point after the game saying hey guys the Brandon Ayuk has been out of practice with a hamstring strain uh obviously Trent Shurfield is playing well because of those two things Brandon Ayuk is a little lower on the pecking order right now so I, I mean I don't know which direction this is going to go is there a little bit of a doghouse element to this? Maybe, but I think the overarching lesson is that we need to wait a few weeks to see where Ayuk is when he has a bigger string of a longer string of practices under his belt. Trey Sermon is, you know, that, that that's worse because he he was inactive for the Fort Anders. He did, he didn't play at all today, 
And Shanahan seemed to hint that Elijah Mitchell and Jermichael Hasty beat him in training camp, which doesn't make that much sense because we saw camp and we saw the pecking order during pre- the preseason, and it seemed that Trey Sermon was certainly higher than those guys. However, even that probably needs to be taken with a little context, Matt, because A, the 49ers have a very game-by-game specific approach at running back, depending on matchups and all this and all that. And B, because of that point, uh, there's a chance that something happened this week that that we don't really know about with Trey Sermon. We do know that he was healthy today and he was on the sideline. But whether it be a disciplinary thing or you know something that Shanahan just wasn't happy about as far as the film goes in training camp, maybe with pass protection, maybe Shanahan felt that that particular aspect of Sermon's game wouldn't match up really well uh, with the Detroit Lions, so uh, he he decided to, to to make him inactive. But I don't think that we could firmly judge where Trey Sermon stands in relation to Elijah Mitchell and Jamichael Hasty until we see a, at least one more game or or a few more games because uh, there's way too much murkiness and way too much unknown right now to make in, any grand proclamations about Trey Sermon being inactive in his first game as a rookie. Yeah, I, I was a bit surprised because um, we had watched you know from. From the get-go, really, from from May OTAs, Sermon was uh, pretty firmly entrenched as that number two running back. Remember, Raheem Mostert, um, you know, had a had a knee injury as far back as May, and so he didn't take part in all the OTAs. And when that happened, Sherman was the I don't want to say starter, but he was the the first stringer at that point, and he sort of kept that that uh that title throughout all of training camp and uh you know all of the preseason games as well and then all of a sudden week one comes around and he's not he's not even on the field so that that makes you know my my radar the 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 needle on my bs detector was flickering when uh shanahan said oh it uh it varies from game to game there's there's no real hierarchy there well with with bobby turner there is a hierarchy i mean you see you see it, it just just in the the drills that the running backs run. One guy always is the first guy to get the ball in these drills, and and it kind of uh, goes from there. And you and you do see a hierarchy. So when when Sermon wasn't even in uniform for today's game, uh, it made me wonder what happened. And I'm not sure. I agree with you. I'm not sure we we've, we've heard the the full truth on exactly what happened. Having said that. Uh, Elijah Mitchell uh, did great. I mean, you know, was his pass protection perfect? Probably not. But he looked an awful lot, Dennis, like uh, Raheem Mostert on that uh, 38-yard touchdown run where he he broke to the outside, read his blocks perfectly, and then uh, turned on the afterburners. Maybe not quite as fast as Raheem Mostert, but fast enough to get to the end zone and fast enough to get 104 (laughs) yards in his first ever game. Uh, which is remarkable. He's he's never going to forget that. So uh, hats off to him. Um, he was probably the uh, the second or third biggest storyline in today's game. And it's funny hearing you guys say that. You know what's going on with Trey Sherman. I mean, it's is it possible that maybe during the week of practice, Elijah Mitchell just looked better? I mean, you look at him run today, and it you know he looks like Raheem. He's a one foot not dancing around, he's hitting a hole, and he's hitting it at full acceleration. So it, is it possible he just beat him out? Well, y- yes, it is, but but Jermichael Hasty, with that logic, Jermichael Hasty would have had to beat Trey Sermon out too, right? 
So that that's why I think there's something else going on because they made Hasty and Mitchell active over Sermon. Right. 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 And and we should note that both of those guys have prominent roles on special teams. Whereas I don't, I can't say for sure what, what Sermon's role on special teams was going to be, but I don't remember him having a big role in, in the preseason. So that may have been a big factor too. The, the bottom line is we don't know, but it just did strike me as odd that a guy who was number two consistently from May onward, all of a sudden is number four heading into week one. It's going to be interesting if you look at the film, where, where, where does he sit now? I mean, he, I mean, Raheem is going to be hurt. We know right. Raheem Mostert, he gets hurt. Who's going to be your number one now? Now you got a rookie that's just ran for a hundred and something yards in his first football game. Just imagine if he gets in the groove, you know, if he if he gets some more snaps with the ones. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that goes. But I was impressed with him. I was impressed. Yeah. I didn't pay attention to this pass pro, but this kid, I mean, from the first, the first, his first carry, I think, was six yards. At at, at one time, he was knocking off six yards a carry. And, you know, that speaks to the offensive line, but he was hitting those holes and he was getting to the second second level like right away. So, you know, I, I don't know pecking order or whatever it is, but he's got to be pretty high in the pecking order right now coming off his first game as his first regular season as a, as an NFL player. And he's got he's got a hundred yards uh, rushing. You know, I think that he his running style, at least within the context of the offense, reminds me a lot of Raheem Mostert's. On some of those outside zone plays, it, you know, it just seemed that he he gl- he glided the way that Mostert does to the outside, and yeah, we also also have to note on that 38 yard touchdown run, it did look like Jimmy Garoppolo checked in into that run, which is one of the less visible elements of what Garoppolo brings to this team. But 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 those people that are confused as to why Garoppolo was the surefire starter throughout all of training camp, it, it's not just because he's been efficient passing the ball when he's healthy, but he's also shown to be a really good manager of the 49ers run game. And and he, he checked into that at the line of scrimmage right before pitching right to, to Elijah Mitchell. And, you know, with the running back room for the 49ers, uh, Shanahan wants to make it deep for the reasons that we've seen. Raheem Mostert suffered another injury today. Uh, Jeff Wilson is already on the shelf. You, you need bodies in this running back room. It's uh, just the way it is. It's a reality of life for the 49ers. Every single season, there is attrition and significant attrition at the position. So uh, it's going to be a week-by-week thing as they try to string together the best group of three or four that are back there. But uh, they made it work this time because I thought that the offense uh, was efficient in the way that it leveraged you know, everything that was going on. They, they did exactly what Kyle Shanahan wants as far as setting up play action, uh, you, you know, as far as delivering over the middle of the field. And then sometimes you just have to go out and make a play on some of those big third downs, and they did. As far as something negative today, Matt, I thought the Lions attacked exactly what we thought they would attack, and that was the interior of the 49ers defense, missing Javon Kinlaw, no Maurice Hurst. We knew that Anthony Lynn, the new Detroit offensive coordinator, loves to run the football, loves to really, you know, play some smash-mouth-style attack, and... That was the ticket for the Lions to, at least for a while, put the 49ers' pass rush at bay because it's hard to to rush the passer when the quarterback is not in an obvious passing situation. And I think the Lions rushed for, what, 90 yards in the first half, close to six yards a carry. It got got ugly there, and I think the 49ers were bailed out by their offense. The fact that the 49ers' offense scored more efficiently than Detroit's and the fact that the 
two-minute drill hit the Lions late in the first half, actually forced Detroit to pass, and that led to the Dre Greenlaw pick six. Um, those were all things that the 49ers, outside of the 49ers defense, is doing, right? That finally forced the Lions into a bad spot. Moving forward, the 49ers are going to have to do a much better job stopping the run. Otherwise, uh, they're going to find themselves in a bind. You, you can't just get away with giving up over five yards of carry up the middle the way they did today. Yeah, I think they gave up 60 yards uh, rushing in, in the first quarter. And, uh, you know, the Lions uh, provided a blueprint for how to attack this, uh, this, this wide nine defense. I'm, I'm sort of surprised more teams don't do that. And I think you're absolutely right. The, the reason the 49ers were able to get away with it is because they were winning uh, what was it, 31 to 10 at, at halftime? I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know if the uh, the Lions uh, attempted a single run in the fourth quarter when they were trying to come back. So, if the offense can always kind of get that sort of lead, it's uh, it's sort of a moot point. But um, yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's sort of uh, um, you know makes sense for an offense to attack them that way. The 49ers defensive line is trying to get upfield as fast as possible. You do a little bit of a, a delayed draw, and all of a sudden, even the defensive tackles are beyond the line of scrimmage. All, all you have to do is kind of slip past them, get the uh, the guard in the center to to wall off uh, um, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, and, and you've got a you know a twelve yard gain, and that, that, that's exactly what they were doing early in the game. Uh, so it, it's something to to watch. Um, you know, uh, luckily for the 49ers, they were out doing them with their own running attack. And I just think that, uh, you know, based on what we've seen the last three years now, it's very hard for defenses that don't see that zone rushing attack that the 49ers use to, to prepare for that. And you saw it last year with the Jets and the Giants early on, saw it with the, the Lions today. If you don't see that week in and week out and you know, the Rams use it, and so the, the NFC West is, is very familiar with it. They practiced against it. They prepared for it. But some of these other teams that only see the 49ers and the Rams once every four years, they just don't – They just it's just hard to prepare for. And you see that in the weird angles that some of these defensive teams, uh, uh, defensive backs and uh, defenses take. It's just not used to the angles. They're just not used to the speed of some of these guys. And – uh, I think that bodes well. I know that the 49ers played the Eagles last year, but uh, I think that's uh, a, a real advantage, Dennis, going into this uh, week two against Philadelphia. Speaking of the, that defensive front, I mean, in, in the beginning of the game, they just weren't getting off blocks. DJ Jones and Kentavious Street, they just weren't getting off blocks. So they were getting gashed. And then they were shooting the gaps, and then they were getting trapped. So, you know, when, when you talk about this 49ers defense, and it was so good to see Nick Bosa and D Ford back, you, you see what they bring to the football game. But without having someone in that middle that can really absorb a double team, this is what teams are going to do. This is why a guy like, like Javal Kinlaw is so important to this defense because you need someone in, in that middle, like DeForest Buckner, who's going to give you first that push up the middle, but you're going to be able to hold a double team in the middle. And today, these guys, once they shot up field, it was trapped right away. And then when they're man on man, it was just they could not get off block. So they have to get better in that area. And it's going to help your linebackers out. I mean, yeah, Fred Warner uh, and, and, and Dre Greenlaw, they're fast and athletic. But if they're going to get one-on-one against these guards, it's going to be 
you know, they're going to get walled off every time. So that's something you have to work in. That was definitely, you know, a, a negative. But positive, I mean, you got your two outside guys, and, and they look good. I was really impressed with both D. Ford uh, and Nick Bosa uh, getting off the ball, getting after the quarterback. Uh, could have used a little more of that in the fourth quarter when uh, when they were tearing it up, when Jared Goff was, was attempting 29 throws, wherever it was in the fourth quarter. But I think, you know, coming back after a year, year and a half, I, I was impressed with the outside. The inside is, you know, you just got to play technique. You got to get off the ball. You got to recognize you're getting trapped and you can't get a feel to. But there was still some good positive stuff in the interior side of the line. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And speaking of good positive stuff on the line as a whole, D Ford came to play. I mean, that's we said anything you get from D Ford has found money. Well, right now you're getting a, a top-flight edge rusher. I mean, again, we have to contextualize everything with the fact the Lions were not a good spot up front. They had to move the rookie Penesul back to left tackle where he played in college from right tackle. I thought that Sewell did some good stuff, but Nick Bosa really in standard dropback situations got the best of him. I mean, Nick's sack, he just first he pancaked Sewell after putting on with skates for about seven yards, and then he caught Jared Goff from behind and, and got the sack. So that was awesome from, from his perspective coming back. But D Ford, I mean, th- th- this guy, the speed move is still there. The power move is still there. I mean, he, he looked fresh. He looked healthy. That's going to be the 49ers saving grace if they are able to overcome this injury to Jason Verrett. It's going to be that pass rush and the edge rush specifically. And both of their top edge rushers look good. And you know who sealed the game? Sansom Ebucom with the pressure there at the very end that I thought was huge. So you, you talk about bright spots along the defensive line. The three top edges, Bosa, Ford, and Ebucom, all delivered at key spots in this game, Matt. And that's something the 49ers can build on moving forward. But again, the key is they have to get into those pass rushing situations. You have to earn the opportunity to pin your ears back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, everything went as planned as far as defensive end for them today. Uh, Ford was at his best at the end of the the first half, I think, uh, with a minute 10 left. And uh, I, I just said that the, the 49ers were, were ahead something like 31 to 10 at that point. So you knew that the the Lions were going to try to pass, and, and that's that's the, the perfect, the quintessential D Ford moment. Uh, even if there are only 10 of those plays a game, those are such crucial plays, and he was at his best. I mean, that, that it, it was perfect. He didn't have to play a lot of snaps, but uh, when he was in the game, he was, uh, he was very good, and uh, they were critical snaps, and, and he came through on two of those. Um, you know, there was one where he... Uh, had a quarterback pressure, and then the other, he got a, sna- uh, a sack. And I think on the one that set up the the sack, I believe that Nick Bosa uh, took down DeAndre Swift, the, the running back, for negative four yards to sort of set up an even greater sort of uh, uh, must-pass situation. So those two guys, it looked like 2019, they were working in tandem, they were working in concert. Um, everything looked really good between them. And, and I guarantee you they ended up playing 
a lot more snaps than than they uh, intended, Dennis, because uh, they had taken Nick Bosa out of the game uh, there in the fourth quarter. They had taken Fred Warner out of the game, and those guys had to come back during that kind of final furious drive that the, the Lions were putting together uh, and help seal it. And uh, as David noticed, Samson Ebucom uh, had a nice pass rush at the end. Uh, I thought uh, Bosa was, was putting pressure on golf as well. So um, it was a lot closer than, they, than it should have been, than they intended. But when they needed those guys to deliver the big uh, pressures, they did. And that's, that's huge. Uh, given everything that they went through last season. Yeah, and it's it's just so funny that, you know, this team is so aware of injuries. And, you know, Kyle said it. He said he he was trying to get some of his guys off the football field. And, and then you look up and you're like, oh, snap. You know, they've just scored another touchdown. Uh, they've just made a two-point con- conversion. And, oh, guess what? They got the the onside kick, too. And then now you got to get motivated. You got to re-motivated again to get these guys back on the field. And, you know, I looked up and, you know, Jimmy Ward was out the game. k was out the game. And Jaquaski Tart was off, out the game. And then it, it looked like a, a, a preseason game all over. So th- those are the things when you say finish football games, those are the things when, you know, you take it. I know you're worried about these guys getting hurt, but you in, in NFL football, anything could happen. And now all of a sudden these guys are thinking their day's done and then they, then they got to get back on the football field. And I think the re- I think that was you know a- after after the injury, you know then you got to get remotivated. I think that was tough for this team, and it and it looked it looked like they weren't motivated. And it looked like a preseason football game. So I was I was it was curious. I was I was surprised that Kyle Shannon actually said we we took guys off trying to you know kind of protect guys, and I've I've never heard that in football. Well, and I think it was just because of the psychological impact that seeing Jason Verrett get hurt in the way that he did get hurt had on on the 49ers Uh, you know Shanahan said two things he said it's really hard to take guys out because they only have 48 active on game day so there's technically not enough depth to just run a full second string out there Uh, so I don't think he was planning to do that which is why Verrett was still in the game because they were up what 41-17 if there is a high risk player that you would take out in such a scenario Jason Verrett would perfectly match that description but Kyle Shanahan decided not to go for that strategy Verrett ends up getting hurt, and then Kyle Shanahan changes his mind, and then it just turns into a domino effect disaster for the 49ers. And thankfully for, thankfully for them, they're able to get out of Dodge with the win. But, it, uh, you know, lesson learned, it's much easier to regroup after a psychological blow like the Verrett injury over the course of a week before the next game than it is to regroup midstream when you have to line up again and continue playing. So that that's what's next for the 49ers. They have to regroup heading to Philadelphia you know, they may not have Raheem Mostert, but they still have plenty of talent and running back. They won't have Jason Verrett, but as I said at the start of the show, I think they still have plenty of talent in that pass rush, and they may be getting reinforcements. We'll see with Javon Kinlaw coming back in, uh, see if that happens next week. So this is still very talented roster. It's for sure lost one really good player, but there are ways forward, and, and this is about regrouping moving forward, Matt. You know, one guy that I was impressed with today that we didn't hear from too much, and that's a good thing, is Diamador Lenore, the rookie cornerback, making his first start. You know, part of the reason we didn't hear much from him, though, is because the Lions don't have much receiving firepower to test cornerbacks. We'll probably be, you know, hearing Lenore's number called more next week if he starts 
against the Eagles. And and that's how this is going to go. I mean, it's only going to get harder if the 49ers are going to ascend and, and reach the mountaintop. So they have to find a way to regroup after the disappointing finish today. Uh, take the fact that they're 1-0 and, and and apply it to a tougher test at Philadelphia next week. Yeah, and we, we should note that um, you know they, they went through a, a huge psychological blow in Week 2, a game against the Jets last year, and then went back to the same place where all those injuries occurred and, and smoked the Giants. So they, they do know how to bounce back, and, and they're not a team that um, was, uh, was railroaded by their emotions last year they eventually started losing games because they just ran out of quality players. No Bosa, no Garoppolo, no Mostert early on. They just didn't have enough firepower. But um, they, they did not, uh, they were not woe is me um, during that season. That, that wasn't the reason that they, they lost games. And I, I wonder about Lenore and, and the decision to go with him. I mean, uh, as we talked about heading into that game, the three choices were Dante Johnson, Lenore and Josh Norman and uh, it sounded as if Norman was uh, you know could have gone that they were contemplating that but remember he had just been signed on on the Monday before the game so he was still catching up on the defense and and probably wasn't in playing shape and I, I wonder whether the the rationale was okay we'd rather not start a rookie in this game but um uh, as david noted th- this this lions passing attack isn't great they don't have top end wide receivers this might be a good game for him to to get his feet wet and to give us another week of getting josh norman up to speed uh and it worked i mean i i was surprised that the lions didn't really ever attack diamador lenore Obviously, they were going with that that rushing attack, and that was effective early on. But it wasn't until the the fourth quarter that they two that they that they threw a couple of deep passes at him. Um, and uh, you know, usually, and we saw this against Miami last year. Whenever you see a new guy in at cornerback, that's that's exactly where you're going with the ball early and often. Uh, the the Lions didn't do that, so they they really gave uh, did the Forty ers a favor in that. And then the the other silver lining is that. Diamondor Lenore just just went through a full game. He played something like, you know, seventy snaps. So this is really good experience for him uh, that uh, he's going to be able to build upon and cash in on uh, later in the season when they invariably are going to tap him again. Yeah, I, I was surprised too, Matt. I, I I was thinking when the game started, and I I kind of forgot about him over there until Verrett got hurt, and then I looked up, and then you know maybe three. Uh, pass attempts to that side of the field. And, you know, he got one PI and then there was one that was overthrown, but the receiver did get behind him. So I was, I, I think, I think Detroit would look back and think, oh, wow, we should attach, we could, we should have attacked that rookie cornerback because, you know, they, they might have had a little bit something else early in the football game. But he, he's got some great experience now. And, you know, we see what happens next in that secondary. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I was surprised that Dante. Uh, didn't play better today, but you know he's he's a guy that it makes sense why he's you know he's been on the team, he's been off the team, um, he's been you know in the doghouse, and he gets an opportunity for to play today, and you know he gets a pi, and then he gets burned a couple of times. So again, I don't know if Richard Sherman's still out there. I don't know if that's a possibility. Josh Norman, I don't know if he's in shape, but I'm sure there's some serious discussions right now. Uh, about that secondary and what's going to be the next steps. Yeah, they've already been talking to Richard. I mean, it's been an ongoing conversation with Sherman uh, over this offseason. I know he had the 
the the incident up in in the Seattle area, but the 49ers have stayed in touch, and I wouldn't be surprised if something um, started to to blossom on on Monday. You know, I think that might have been something the 49ers were looking at as a possibility later in the year, just anticipating attrition. Uh, over the course of the season and also that would have given Sherman you know some more time uh, away from the game to get everything in order but um, I think (laughs) Jason Verrett potentially tearing his ACL in week two gives a sooner rather than later vibe to to all of those so it's going to be fascinating if you just on paper the 49ers need another veteran presence at cornerback I mean again rush over coverage but the coverage has to have some kind of floor The, the the floor just can't completely drop out and uh, that's why you go to to a trusted veteran who knows the scheme um, and Josh Norman is is a veteran the 49ers feel they can trust who they feel they could pick up the scheme but now with Brett going down they may need another one um, Matt what, what, what how are you getting down to West Virginia I know that you've got quite the week uh, planned Dennis and I are back in California but I know that you've got to get from Detroit to the Greenbrier to Philly over the next few days. What, what's the travel schedule going to be like? I'm four-wheeling it. Uh, I, I, I looked at the plane flights, and you have to take so many connections in order to get to this spot in West Virginia, uh, White Sulphur Springs, that it ended up that if you just drove, you would actually get there a little bit quick, more quickly than if you took uh, three flights. So that's what I'm doing. I'm going to have a stay over in Columbus, Ohio tomorrow. So I think that's about halfway down. Um, so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. This, of course, is where the 49ers went last year after the, uh, the win against the Jets. And um, that was where the MRI truck that uh, they had sent to the Greenbrier uh, famously broke down on the way there. And they had to scramble and go to various hospitals and in Virginia and West Virginia in, in order to get all their MRIs done. And, you know, hi- history sadly is repeating itself. They're, they're having to get several uh, done uh, now in West Virginia as well. And I think that they know what the result of Verrett's injury is going to be. They're awaiting what Mostert's and Drake Greenlaw. So three starters right off the bat go down. I mean, th- this is uh, a little bit, I mean, there, there was a sense of dread coming out of the Jets game last year, and you get that same sense this year. And um, boy, you just hope that it doesn't continue Sunday in Philadelphia, which is on a grass field. That's a big deal for this team. I think there's a real kind of psychological issue building about playing on artificial fields. And frankly, it seems justified. And, you know, all the concerns during the offseason and workouts, protecting these guys. And, and guess what? In the NFL, you're going to get injured. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You're going to get injured. The 49ers, it always feels like they've gotten more injuries. But the question is how you bounce back. Who you got? What's your depth? I think that's why you go out and you draft two running backs. You get two cornerbacks in your draft. You just kind of have to have depth. And the next guy who's up, you got to perform. And that's what it is in the NFL. Injuries are going to happen. And you know, and, and you can't shut down because someone gets hurt. The next person who's up, you got to go out there and you got to play. But you, as an organization, you got to bring guys in that help you with that. And I think the 49ers have done that. So we'll see how it goes. Well, we move forward to week two. It's uh, it's a long ride, these NFL seasons are. And they're, it's even longer now. 17 games instead of just 16. We'll look forward to Matt's reporting from West Virginia. You all can join us for another episode of the Here's the Catch podcast later this week. But for now, the 49ers are 1-0 with some complications moving forward. But uh, it means more fodder 
for us to talk about. So anyway, for Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you on the Here's the Catch 49ers podcast in just a few days. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.